This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What came next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Moshe Blechman is a former soldier, professor, and rabbi hailing from Poland. His life changed forever when his hometown was demolished amidst Hitler's World War II efforts. As a result, he was left familyless, homeless, and even countryless by nine years old. However, he was given a new chance at life when he became one of the Holocaust's infamous Tehran children. What came next in Moshe's life is both heartbreaking and heartwarming, and it's a great honor to help him share his story. That is not only because of his immense strength, but also because he's been a fixture throughout my entire life and even led my mother's funeral services in 2007. Please note, Moshe does say a few words in Hebrew and or Yiddish, and the definitions for those words can be found in the episode notes. My name is Moshe Blechman. I was born in Poland, in the city called Zamosh. I had four sisters. All of them were older than I was. They were so happy to have a boy. I was very spoiled because I was a boy. That was something dear to my parents. My father used to take me to the synagogue. On Friday evening, we lived in a place near a school. And when we used to come back, girls, boys, adults, all of them threw stones on us. They call us with a name, Jit, which is not a nice name for a person, especially for a Jew. Jit was a dirty Jew or something like this. We used to run the last kilometer, I don't know how. I remember my father ran as much as he can, put me on his shoulders. He used to check me on Saturday what I achieved this week. So every week I had a test by my father. He insisted that I should know before the war whatever I could. He was very religious. My mother, I don't have too much details. But I remember that she was a sick woman at that time already. She was very protective of me as a boy, especially. When my father was a little bit aggravated of a little boy, she said, don't touch Moishale. I was called Moishale. All my sisters and everybody called me this way. I was six years old when the Germans and Nazis invaded Poland. 
Zamosh, the city that I was born and lived for six years, completely was destroyed. My father, Zal, had relatives in a small town, and we escaped there. One day, the Nazis came and surrounded the whole city. They put us in a kind of a circle close to the synagogue that was in this city. I don't remember all the details, but I remember that they shout in German to raise our hand, not to move and not to go any place for a while. My father realized that I cannot hold my hand as a young boy of six years old, so he helped me because I threatened if I do this, anyone, they will kill right away. I don't remember how long it was, but it was quite a while. Suddenly, we saw the synagogue burning. They let the people extinguish the fire. While these people tried to extinguish the fire, my father and my family started to run towards a forest. The Polish people, unfortunately, tried to stop us and let us be killed. However, we succeeded to go to this forest. I learned that was the agreement between Stalin and Hitler. A couple of days later, we found ourselves in another place, the beginning of the war from September 1. They right away took us with a train to Siberia. The whole family, they put us in as prisoners in this place. I see Nazis on the way, they're throwing a baby like a ball. Can you imagine? Like a ball. And if the baby fell, it was crushed. A human being reached this level of ours of the 20th century. They didn't give us food or anything. We had to find some food. As a child, I sneaked from the fence that was around us, ran to the forest and found some berries. I don't remember exactly what kind. Whatever forest supplies. So that was our helps at that time. And I tried to help my family. My father, Zal, was right away taken by the Russians. He used to be in a forest to cut the trees for the Russians in Siberia. Somehow, I was healthy at that time. And I used to run to the forest. One day when I went to the forest, I saw a big line. All of them were Russians. I got the information that they are waiting for a loaf of bread. Even the Russians didn't have bread in Siberia. And they wanted to kill me because how dare I break into this line? Right away I realized that I'm Jewish. So I stopped. I didn't go anymore. I didn't keep the number of days or years. Only after this I started to collect the details of my life. It was about up to three years we were in this place. One day my aunt told me, Run, go to your father because your father is very sick. My father told me that he was wounded by cutting the trees. No medicine or any other supplies were there. And he told me that he thinks that he's going to die. He said, go, run to the camp where your whole family is and tell them that 
if somebody can help me. I did like he told me. I ran to this. Of course, I was very nervous. I didn't know what's going on in my world at that time. I told my aunt and my sisters that my father is very sick and no medicine or anything. They didn't want to give him anything. They understood the situation. It took a few hours until I ran back to the forest where my father was on the floor. When I came back, he was already dead. I lost most of my family during these three years. My father and mother, my sisters, my aunt and my cousin. I was a young boy without any experience. No parents and no normal life of a child. I didn't have any experience in mm. this. I didn't have parents. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what is death until I saw my mother die. My parents were not buried in a Jewish place. We didn't have any means to bury them. Everybody tried to dig someplace and buried everybody who died. These were terrible years. After struggling and fighting for survival, my oldest sister told me that there is a woman, Henrietta Salt, that has mostly orphaned children, and they may go to Israel after a while. I didn't know about Israel too much, even though my father used to tell me all the time that one day we will go. And he put some, I wouldn't say knowledge, but some feeling of Israel. That's the first time that I heard good news of something different. Then they told us that we will go someplace. That was the first step in my life, the big change, and they took us to Tehran. We were 1,000 children, Yaldei Tehran. We are known in the history of books that were written about a special group. We were waiting in Tehran one year. We saw Henrietta Salt. I called her Ima. Compared to before, we were not starving. We didn't have enough food, but at least they gave us meals and food to survive this year. I don't recall that we had any school or because it was not a permanent place. Sometimes they came and they told us, in a month or two you will go. But it didn't happen. I was waiting from 1942 to 43 in Tehran. I came to Israel in 1943. I was there in this Orthodox Orphan Institute. I know Hebrew almost fluently after two months. It was easy for me. I don't know why, maybe because my father eventually pushed me to study and encouraged me. I assume that a lot of Jews like me, if the parents were very Orthodox, they inserted into their children. I am thankful until today that Henrietta Salt arranged to pay for me to this school because that was an elite religious school. I always insisted to get a religious education. When I was put by the Youth Aliyah to institution, they asked me what kind of religion you want. And I say I want Orthodox way. 
I got a very good education. From 10 to 16, I accomplished elementary school and high school. I was a good student, but also a good sportsman. I was very determined to keep my life, also the religious life, very strongly at that time. I did everything that I could with my life to get a higher education. I was in the army. I was drafted. In Israel, you are drafted 18 years old. But at the beginning, I even didn't have my birth certificate. I didn't know at that time exactly my birthday. I thought I was born in Passover for some reasons. They delayed my army service. The year that I was delayed, read some five, six books instead of going to seminar for teachers. It takes two years usually. But I decided while I had a year free, I read the books, I took the test, and when I was 19, before I was wounded, I passed the test. I was able to teach elementary and high school. So I really was very ambitious. What Came Next is brought to you by BetterHelp. As I often share, there have been many times in my life when I've had to seek mental health support. Talking to a professional has helped me develop tools and practices to get through some of the darkest times of my life. I really have found that talk therapy is a great way to understand myself and my loved ones on a deeper level. BetterHelp connects us with licensed therapists who help us navigate the many challenges life may present. BetterHelp services are entirely online and designed to fit within your schedule. To top it off, they keep the process simple and accessible, and you can switch your therapist at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com WCN today to get 10% off your first month of services. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash W-C-N. When I was drafted into the army, I thought I will be a parachute. I already at that time realized who I am, with my background, the yeshiva and so on, and I felt that I have a duty to serve the country. I have some flat feet and I couldn't be drafted as a part of it, but instead I was drafted into Golani, which is a fighting unit. All my training in the beginning was in mountain fighting. I was very healthy and uh, could go through training. I became a corporal, a sergeant, and I thought to serve in the army extra by signing for extra in order to become an officer and train other people. Unfortunately, in one of our fighting, I was second to the commander and we had to do something near the border and the Arabs, they surprised us. I was injured with a butt of a gun on my neck, the upper spine. I was seriously wounded in a hospital. At that time, I was 20 years old, in the middle of my service. So I realized that I cannot be an officer. I used to say, God, why are you testing me so much? Please. Give me a few kind, quiet years. I was in a hospital in pain, and it was a long time. 
And the army itself wasn't easy for me because I served in fighting unit. I say, God, I know that you are righteous. I know you are good, but don't try me so many times. Abraham was tested 10 times. I say, you tested me more than 10 times. I'm a simple man. What do you want from me? Maybe to teach. I was in the hospital almost the last year, but I decided this will be my life because I cannot fight physically. I am a disabled veteran of Israel that was wounded on action, in other words, by an enemy. After struggling in Israel, I was put for reserve service. The government of Israel found out I was injured and I got all kind of treatment, but I was in pain. I felt that I need some more help. The Israeli medicine or surgeries wasn't the most advanced at that time. Now I think it's one of the best in the world. But in that time, in the 50s, it wasn't. They sent me here and they sent me to UCLA to go through surgeries. The doctors told me that maybe here they can help me. I came in 1960 and after about half a year, I had my first surgery. 17 years, I lived in Israel. So really everything that I got was for of these years. My education, my army service, which was cut with a wound. And then my life started differently in this country. This is the second part of my life. I had a surgery. The doctors here told me that unfortunately it wasn't successful at UCLA hospital. And I will have to wait a year and have another surgery, which I did. I had two more spine surgeries. And as a result of four surgeries just in the spine, I'm limited now walking. I cannot stand too much. I had a stomach surgery. 70% was taken out of cancer. I think it's a miracle that God wants me to live on this earth 90 years old with 10 major surgeries. I came here and I went through at least 10 major surgeries. I went to the university, I met my first wife, and we got married. And I became a normal person. I was teaching advanced book in a college. Advanced book, you go in poetry, reading, enchanting without vows. I was teaching this. UCLA, and even sometimes in high schools, I told you I was a little bit ambitious. So I had the credential for teaching high school here in Los Angeles. I was teaching math. I told them that one and one is 11. And after this, they stopped asking me any more questions. I was teaching more than 50 years. Maybe because of this, God gave me credit. I didn't win money, but I won the heart of some students of mine, and I'm proud of it. Many of them sent me letters thanking me that you gave us a push to learn and to make Aliyah. Aliyah means to come to Israel. It taught me in my life that most of the time, not all the time, if you are devoted with all your heart 
it's not exactly product or thing that you do. It's your practice. Between 1960 and the early 2000s, Moshe taught students that ranged from kindergarten to the university level. He was even my mother's Hebrew teacher and mentor when she was in high school in the late 1960s. Our families go back as far as Israel in the 1940s. My grandparents migrated to America one year before Moshe and reunited with him as he pursued his master's degree. Throughout his career, Moshe implemented the Jewish ideology of tikkun olam, which is a major tenet of Judaism. The philosophy promotes the idea that all of our actions should have the intention of repairing and improving the world. Thus, teaching youth truly gave Moshe hope for the future. Maybe because I was a strong man, physically and I think academically too, I never gave up, even in situations that I felt that I'm losing a lot of my inspiration. It is a miracle that I'm alive, really. But it's also thanks to myself. I never gave up because of my strong belief in God. Despite all the troubles that I went through, I realized that you cannot respond to test God. God tests me, but I cannot test him. I know that this is hard. I think I believed what I was teaching. I believed it in my heart. I used to pray every day. The Orthodox way gave me a strong feeling that even though sometimes I was thinking and say, God, where are you? Where are you with the Jewish people? It gave me a strong feeling and say, don't ask so much. The eternal question is, why the righteous people suffer and the wicked one, like Hitler and Stalin, they succeeded to kill more than a hundred million people, both of them. Why? I don't have an answer. Why a child is born one day and the next day he's dead? Why? I mean, if a mother has to carry a child, a baby, why God let her suffer after she gives birth the next day or even the same day? Well, what was the answer then? Ain't. There is no answer. If you ask me, I'm a simple man, but I will tell you, God ordered me. Certain mitzvot, we even don't know what is the sense of it. You mentioned your father was really religious. Do you think that part of your connection to the religion was born from wanting to be reconnected with him? I think in a certain stage, how can a child, when he's three years old, up to six years old, absorb? at this stage of life. I absorbed a lot. I know I was a good boy, more or less. A match of fire, maybe it lit my heart for a while and desire to give. And when I gave, I gave it all my heart, including love. Love is very hard to define. Between the 1960s and the 1980s, Moshe was married and divorced. He was single for the majority of his life until he met a woman in 2020. They just celebrated their first wedding anniversary this year. I love this woman. It happened late in my life, but better late than nothing. This crucial day that I met her about a year and a half is something. I really am thankful to God. My life completely changed. When people ask me how you, as a rabbi, as a teacher, believe in it, I said, that's the way of God. In Judaism, we say, if you ask somebody how you kept your religion, 
say thus, thus God Sivani. God committed, God ordered me. The justice, I don't know why I lost my parents, why I lost six million Jews, I cannot say it. And nobody, not only me. You mentioned you're often asked how you kept your faith, but from what I'm hearing, it sounds like your faith grew even stronger amidst your hardships. I saw this also for my sister, especially the youngest one, Sarah. She was very religious. I used to come from Jerusalem to Netanya. On Thursday evening, she used to stay awake up to three o'clock to make three kinds of cakes, one for my brother-in-law, one for me, and one for the children. How can you be so strict with yourself, restrict your life? I ask her a few times, which it looks limited. She says, it's not limited. I like it. I want it. I feel that this is my life. Moshe, why do you think it's important for all of us to remember the Holocaust and honor its victims? Oh, that's a good question and a good answer is because the Holocaust as a whole to the world and especially to the Jews is a lesson to us, to us I mean grown-up adult, to learn that nothing is coming just by accident, even life and death. There is something higher than what we have on earth, that there is a limit of life and death. Thank you so much for this discussion, Moshe, and thank you for being such a warm, beautiful member of my family all these years, too. We appreciate you. Amidst Hitler's efforts to invade Europe, the Soviet Union came to an agreement with Hitler's regime in an attempt to avoid falling victim to Germany's military expansion. They agreed to a non-aggression pact right before World War II began that allowed German soldiers to enter without retaliation. Thus, German troops invaded Poland with little interference or resistance from their distant neighbor. This pact would also make Germany's battles against France and Britain much easier because the Germans could count on not having to simultaneously fend off Soviet troops. Henrietta Zold was a Jewish-American educator who established the very first American night school for English-language learners. She also went on to found Hadassah, a woman's organization that helped upgrade and or fund hospitals, medical schools, dental facilities, x-ray clinics, infant welfare stations, soup kitchens, and so many other services for Palestine. One of her missions as Hadassah president was to help free victims of World War II and bring them to Palestine. In the 1930s, Zold organized Youth Aliyah, a group that rescued thousands of young children from the Holocaust and brought them to safety in Palestine. After tireless effort, one of the groups she saved, which consisted of just under a thousand orphans freed from Siberian slave labor camps, arrived in Israel. Zold's biography described the children as bone thin, undersized with scars and sores from having lived like animals in the Russian forest. She could find no trace of childhood, no mischief, no laughter, only cold, staring suspicion. Moshe was one of those children. 890 orphan children were given the chance to start over in what was still Palestine at the time. They spent about a year in Tehran, Iran, camping in former military barracks first. In February of 1943, they were finally granted the proper documentation to allow them to immigrate to Palestine. 
Henrietta Zold died just two years later. In the nearly 100 years since she established Youth Aliyah, over 300,000 children have been directly saved from unsafe conditions due to her political and social efforts. Her legacy and vast impact is truly unending. World War II ended on September 2, 1945. After six years of war, there were between 40 and 50 million war-related deaths. Over 6 million of those people were of Jewish descent, although exact rates of casualties in all categories remain a mystery to this day. However, what's potentially more shocking is that 63% of Americans under the age of 40 currently report not knowing about the sheer number of murder and death that occurred in the Holocaust. A whopping 10% of the same nationwide survey respondents reported that they had never even heard the word Holocaust. It is imperative we keep reminding ourselves of the atrocities of World War II because history too often repeats itself. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring today's episode. As a reminder, don't forget to use WCN for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp services. Next week on What Came Next... I'd been so loud about how great Nexium was that I knew I had to be as equally as loud on the other side. I knew that I had to make sure that nobody ever enrolled again and that the company would fall apart. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.